You're listening to DA Rockstar's podcast, a podcast for dental assistants. I'm your host, Rhonda Holman. I've been a dental assistant for 20 years and I've learned a thing or two along the way. And here's what I've learned. We have to band together to share our pearls so that we can all grow and achieve rockstar status. We are using the robot to find out more about Zen. Power features include more than 250,000 products and more than 200 distributors on the platform. Zen eliminates the need for placing orders on different websites. Zen price comparison. It's a feature that allows you to see price transparency all in one place. Access to special pricing. They use buying leverage to negotiate prices with Zen members. Same products or house brands are typically at 25 to 40% discount. Zen supplies gives you access to safety data sheets for all products in inventory with Zen. Either you are using iPad or desktop, MSDS will be at your fingertips. A simple feature allows you to see price transparency in one place. Entire order or individual product can be processed with a peace of mind. Did we mention free shipping on orders of $59 or more when purchasing from Zen Preferred Distributors? If you didn't like the product, you can always request a refund and return product for free. Are you ready to see Zen Supplies perform magic for your practice? Visit www.zensupplies.com. And- Well, hi guys, welcome back to the show. I am super excited. Oh, okay. So you know how dental assistants are always complaining about not really being able to do a lot of stuff. Like we always feel like we're not as important to the team and the practice as say maybe a hygienist or the dentist or even admin. A lot of times dental assistants struggle with that. And that's probably why we lose a lot of dental assistants over their career time is because they just don't feel like a integral part of the team. Like, like what they do is, is significant and not replaceable and they want to contribute. Anywho, I'm going to go on and on, but I got this, this girl here named Tina, who's going to tell me about where she sees maybe some avenues for dental assistants to, at some point in the near future, possibly expand our functions and bring more to the practice. All right, Tina, Tell these guys who you are and take it away. Thanks, Rhonda. Yes, my name is Tina Clark and I'm a dental hygienist here in the state of Oregon. I've been a practicing hygienist for 20 years, a dental hygiene educator for over 14 years. And um, and I truly believe in the power of the team coming together and everybody doing their thing. And, um, you know, I, I really think that dental assistants are a cornerstone of our practice. And I thank you, Rhonda, so much for inviting me to come onto this show and, and talk with everyone. I'm just glad you're here. I mean, so here's the thing. Um, dental assistants don't know a career without a dental hygienist and dental hygienists don't have much, you know, access to a career without running to or working with a dental assistant. Like, I think we need to band together way more than we are. Like for some reason, dentistry and in, in the, the curriculums, they've kind of separated us. Have you noticed that? Yes, unfortunately it has. I have seen that. Um, I have seen programs like during the educational system um, where the dental assisting and the dental hygiene programs do work together. And I think when that happens, um, it really does create a great team. And, and same thing when you have dental hygienists working with dentists and dental assistants working with dentists during the educational program, it, it really creates this understanding of the capabilities of every single member. And, you know, it's, it's really important for us all to be aware of each other's 
jobs and tasks and assignments and uh, respecting that and realizing that it's not just one person that is going to make everything. It's not, you know, nobody's the bee's knees for sure. Right. I mean, we are an amalgam, haha, <laughs> pun intended, Got it. team people, team members, admin, clinical, like we have got to learn to sympathize and empathize with each other. So there are struggles that I face as a dental assistant that a hygienist probably would have no clue of. And there are struggles that a dental hygienist has struggles with that I would have no clue of. And that's why I think learning together is so imperative so that we can really um, understand each role and, and how you could support each person on the team. But I, I have this question. So tell these guys what it is that you're passionate about. And then I have a question. Great. So my passion is all about anesthesia, local anesthesia. And, um, you know, I have a focus of helping oral health oral healthcare professionals uh, perform that procedure. And uh, with the dental assistant in mind, I just have to say that um, it is something that every dental assistant should know all the ins and out of local anesthesia for sure. Oh, and I have lots of reasons why. <laughs> I have one reason. So um, I've trained a few on the job training. Like I was formally trained in the military, but I did have a couple of dental assistants that, uh, you know, I was part of their training and trying to tell them where to apply the topical without them having a basic knowledge of anatomical features of the head and neck. <laughs> you know, that anatomy is huge. Like they're putting topical, like, and you know, in these random places, I'm like, did you not watch where the dentist does that block injection? Like, come on guys. <laughs> and then you have to also know about topical too. Cause that's kind of our jam, right? So there are certain topicals you can't leave on more than two minutes. There are certain topicals that, that only work after two minutes. Like you have to know the basics, right? <laughs> For sure. Not only, like you said, the dosaging, like knowing what type of topical to use, being able to look at your patient's health history to find out if they can even have that kind of topical. Like what if they have an allergy or what if they're pregnant? Like there are topical anesthetics that you probably shouldn't necessarily use with certain pregnant patients, you know, depending upon their, on their health status and, and the condition of their pregnancy. And like you told Rhonda, you totally nailed it on the head about understanding anatomical features because, you know, your patient is depending upon you to get them all prepared for that injection and topical anesthetic and the placement of it is key to having a smooth sailing uh, injection you know, while the patient may say, wow, doc, that, or hygienist, that was the best injection I ever had. But really it's probably because, you know, the topical was placed in the correct spot with the right amount of time behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. So what is your best technique before we jump into other stuff on topical placement? Do you dry the tissue off? Do you place like a cotton roll in there two by two? Do you apply it with a cotton tip? Like give us the rundown. So my best tip for you all is to take a little two by two and pat dry the area, uh, look in the mouth before you place the topical. So that way you can make sure there isn't any uh, lesions or any sores in the area that you're going to be placing. Cause that's a, a big no, no. And then I like to use a little cotton, uh, tip applicator and a little dab will do a lot of, you know, that, especially that benzocaine gel goes a long way. So you can save yourself a lot of money and a lot of time reordering. If you just use a little dab, like a, about a pea size, right? We always say the toothpaste amount, you know, for a pea size for our toothpaste, you could use that much, maybe even a little bit less. 
and place it into that area and just let it set, let the uh, lip relax and you know maybe have a saliva ejector right there for your patient to slurp up any of that extra saliva that forms inevitably. <laughs> so, okay, uh, let's talk about vernacular. Yes. How, how do you, okay, as a dental hygienist, when you tell someone like, how do you prepare the patient verbally? Right. So preparing the patient verbally is definitely key. Um, what I like to do is just tell them a little bit about the injection that they're going to have as far as which teeth it's going to numb and that the process can take about five to 10 minutes total to get numb. Um, I really work hard trying not to use the big dental terms with patients, just using basic layman terms. And most everybody knows what that means, you know, numb. Um, and then just tell them, like, I'm going to put some of this, this topical on here. It's like a pre-numbing agent to make it a little bit easier for you as the patient so that it's not as, as, as horrible, like ever, nobody likes a shot. And so you kind of have to, in my opinion, you call a spade a spade, like, so it doesn't hurt as much and it's, you're more comfortable. I think patients appreciate the honesty behind saying, yeah, it's not the best thing in the world, but this is going to make it better. Yeah, that's well, that's okay. So I want to ask about pediatric, but I want to tell a story first, because my best friend, she's a dental assistant in Kansas now, but she worked for this practice in North Carolina and the dentist, he had this really thick accent. So I'm going to try to imitate it. So he said, um, there's going to be a little skeeter bite in here. And then your face is going to feel tingly. And then it's going to feel fat. Like it ain't there, but it stayed. And so they give this little like five-year-old this injection and he jumps out of the chair. He's like, get that skeeter out of there. Get that skeeter. It's hilarious the way she told it. I don't, without the visual, you, and it probably just sounds weird. Anyway, how do you talk about with, with kids, like anesthetic, do you use the same? Uh, so first of all, I was trying so hard to not laugh over you. <laughs> not, I have to say your impression is amazing. I love it. <laughs> I had a great visual. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, with kiddos, very, very different story. You definitely need to um, use a little bit of different uh, language, you know, the sleepy juice. I think we've all probably heard the term sleepy juice, um, a little, I, I haven't heard skeeter bite before. I kind of like that, but again, most kids are probably like, you know, little mosquito bites, bug bite, they might have a negative connotation to it. So, um, you know, I just like, you might feel a little, a little pinch and sometimes I'll even take and just like pinch like the back of their arm just a little bit say it's just gonna go super quick like this pop and this little this little gel that i'm gonna put here is gonna make it so you hardly even feel it at all and that is um kind of some of my tips that i've come across um, i was talking with a hygienist that worked in pediatric dentistry for a long time and that's what she said that she just tries to use the word sleepy juice and you know you're gonna we're gonna wiggle your lip really a lot. Well, we're going to put this in here and we're going to wiggle your lip, wiggle your lip and your, your face is going to feel, you know, your mouth at your lip is going to feel kind of funny. It's going to feel big and, and, you know, you'll make some funny faces and, and, and those kinds of things. You know, it's funny. Cause you said wiggle your lip, but I've worked with a few dentists that don't use that tactic. Um, which I really wish that everybody who did work on a pediatric and, and with the anesthesia, like, I really wish everybody did that because you have to understand the neurofeedback. Like it's huge as far as, you know, if, if my finger's broken, but my leg is cut open, 
which one hurts worse? Like your, your body doesn't respond to both at one time. It'll pick its favorite. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think it's important that people, especially dental assistants, you guys understand that, you know, if you do those distraction techniques, it will literally do biofeedback with the patient. So they can't focus on the injection itself. And, oh, have you seen the buzzy bee? Like, I remember it was like this little ice pouch and it had like this vibrating bee and you could put it on the cheek and it would vibrate during the injection. Like my patients never felt that. Do you have any like tricks and tools that you guys use? Um, so I don't work with kiddos a lot, but I have to say, I think that's a great thing. You know, distraction technique is great. Great. The other thing is, um, as, as somebody who's assisting during the injection, you know, you could also even just kind of like, you know, like flick, flick the kiddo's ear or, you know, rubbing their arm, tapping their arm, um, like usually holding their hand, right. Because most kiddos are like, what are you doing? And their hands are flying up towards their face. Like you, as you know, the assistant can like hold their hands and like tap in their fingers and stuff like that. Tell funny little stories, maybe talk about Disneyland or something like that, that can uh, help get their mind distracted. I have seen some clinicians that will uh, like take their finger and kind of uh, flick the kiddo's nose, like kind of play with the tip of their nose a little bit, just to kind of like throw them off the scent, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's important. And you know, there's certain adults that are goofy that probably would like that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Quick list of the types of injections that you are more likely to receive in a dental office, whether it's for root canal extraction or periodontal therapy hit me. All right. Well, I think the biggest one is going to be some sort of mandibular block, either an IA or a gal gates. Uh, those two injections are very similar. You're the process to do that is very different, but those are going to be your big ones. As far as on the mandible, those mandibular blocks, um, for the, on the maxilla, if we're talking about, um, like single tooth work, whether it is endodontics extractions, restorative, more than likely it'll probably be, there's some sort of infiltration right above the tooth or even like a posterior superior alveolar, like we call those field blocks where you get a, like a couple of teeth at a time. So the PSA, the MSA or the ASA. So all of those SA stand for superior alveolar. So the P would be posterior superior alveolar. The M would be the middle superior alveolar. And the A is the anterior superior alveolar. And, you know, just think about how the mouth is right. Posterior molars, middle premolars, anterior, anterior teeth. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. All right. Hit us with that palatal injection. Is there anything that we can do on our side that would make that a, a seamless injection? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody is not a big fan of those palatal injections, but uh, a couple of things that can be done, of course, you know, topical anesthesia, placing it there with topical, sometimes instead of putting it on a cotton, on a cotton swab, actually, if you dry the area off and just place a little bit on a two by two and place it on the roof of the mouth. Uh, you don't have to hold the swab there all that whole entire time. So you can actually like place the topical and get the syringe all set up. Um, and the other thing you could do is like, after you take that two by two out is go ahead with a cotton swab is while you're waiting for the doc to do or the hygienist to do the job is actually apply some pressure to the injection site. And that will have some of that, um, you know, biofeedback. It, it, it uh, 
give some pressure anesthesia through there. So um, just like when we fall asleep on our arm and our hand goes numb, it's the same kind of thing when we add the chemical topical and then we add that pressure topical that can really help relieve a lot of that uh, pre-injection and the injection pain uh, in of itself. Yeah, that's great. And you guys can use a Q-tip or you can use the back of a mirror. A lot of yep. the handles are nice and just like the perfect size is like fate, right? <laughs> right, right. And I know you can use a mirror. I like to use the cotton swab just because there's a little bit of cushion there. So it doesn't feel as pokey to the patient, but um, yeah, a, a mirror handle works really well too. And it's, and a mirror handle is a little sturdier. So you may not have as much flexion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, run down the most common dental anesthetics that you see like providers using nowadays. Um, so a lidocaine has always been kind of the number one go-to. Uh, I we're starting to see, especially in the United States, a rise of articane. Articane, I love articane. It's a little magic, little magic anesthetic for dentistry. Uh, I will be definitely be seeing more and more of that. You may hear it as septicane. So I'm going to be using the generic term. Septicane is the brand name. Um, so I think that's a great one. I, uh, you should also have some sort of plain anesthetic, probably in the pivocane plane, uh, or a prilocaine plane in there as well. Uh, I would probably lean towards prilocaine just because that works well for our pregnant patients. And then there's also the bupivocaine, which is, I like to call like the bazooka of anesthetics. Cause that is the one where, uh, it, you're going to get the best bang for your buck. And the patient is going to get numb and stay numb for a long time, which is great for post-operative pain. So if you have a, if you have a patient that's getting an extraction, you know, having that bupivacaine out and ready to go is a great option. Now, what about marking? You know, that's, I'm old, right? I've been doing this since the nineties and right. I started an oral surgery. I'm like marking, like that was. <laughs> right. So marcaine and bupivacaine are the exact same, exact same anesthetics. Bupivacaine is the generic name and marcaine right. is the trade name. Yeah. See you guys, this is why we're confused all the time. Seriously. Cause my doc will be like, can you get me this, this, and this? And I'm like, uh, what was that? Is right. Box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one of the, the things in dentistry that we've done to ourselves that, uh, really is frustrating is we have the brand names and the trade name or the generic names that we interchange all the time. And, you know, if you don't look at it all, like, like study it, like I study anesthesia all the time, you know, you don't forget how those cross cross together. Yeah. I, a lot of us, we go off a of color. Um, yes. <laughs> is it Brown? Is it gray? Is it green? Is it red or is it blue? Right. <laughs> and there's a reason why they're all color coded. And I'm going to say this while we're talking about color coding, needle selection is really important. And, you know, when you're setting up that syringe, knowing which injection is being done so that you can select the correct needle size will make it so much better for the clinician who's given the injection to actually hit the right spot. You know, when we're talking a mandibular block, you're going to need a longer needle. If you're working on the maxilla, depending upon which injection you're doing, a short needle is probably going to be just fine. Yeah, it's all about access. I had a doc once that said, I can do anything with long, but I can't do anything with short. <laughs> so if you're going to screw up, go for red. <laughs> yes, I like it. That's a great, great saying. <laughs> oh, okay. So here's, here's a good question. Um, with all of your experience, all of the knowledge that you've gained over these years, 
do you ever see a world where an expanded functions dental assistant quite possibly could maybe be trained and delivering dental anesthesia? Yeah, actually, I do see that happening. And, you know, I think uh, I'm one of those uh, people that is in full support of that as well. Um, you know, so here in the state of Oregon, we actually had a, a group of dental hygiene students who went through and did a huge research uh, project on this. I got to be one of the uh, advisors on their on their team and put a whole proposal together to take to the board of dentistry to start the process of having dental assistants go through the process of giving local anesthetic. And, you know, as with any procedure out there, it doesn't matter who you are, if you have the proper training and the proper continued education and, and credentials, you can, you can do it. Yeah, you totally can do it. And here's the thing, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you already know you're in that bracket, but think about this guys from a production standpoint and a time efficiency standpoint, how many times have you been stuck in an operatory while your doctor's doing an exam or checking up on a post-op patient and you were just begging for anesthesia, especially like, let's say you're doing a DO on 31 and you know, it's going to take a while for that block to kick in. I like I just, I see this as so functional in the business aspect of dentistry. Like I really, oh, and I think we, we have great chairside manner. Like a lot of us have developed those skills as far as being um, the creature comfort <laughs> and, and, and being able to develop that relationship with the patient more so than probably a few of the other team members. So I think that's like our superpower. And how awesome would that be for the, one of the most anxiety ridden parts of the patient's procedure to be administered by the person that they trust, you know, like, I just think that'd be cool. I agree. And, you know, you have, you hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, the production and the time and, you know, there's a lot of places in Oregon and I, I believe Washington, I, I get confused on all the different states. I try to keep up with what hygienists can do from state to state. So trying to keep up with what dental assistants can do is a challenge. But, you know, in Oregon, if assistants have gone through the proper training, they can actually do restorative procedures. So if you think about it, you know, if you have a dental assistant that is endorsement in anesthesia and endorsed in restorative procedures, then, you know, you have someone right there that can be a, a co-therapist of the entire time placing the topical, getting the injection going, placing the rubber dam, the doctor can come in and do the simple decay removal. And then, you know, if the assistant has that restorative knowledge, then they can go ahead and, and actually take care of that small little filling. And, you know, what, is, what a great uh, process for the patient and for the practice. Yeah. And we're constantly looking for, well, like I said, when we started talking ways to really make an impact on the practice and the bottom line is an impact. And, and the fact that, you know, I, I would love to see this, that I think, I think dental assistants are definitely there. You know, I have some dental hygienists, you know, that, that say they work in a practice that's not very perio thick, right? So it's majority of like a pros and they don't give anesthetic very often. I remember I had a dental hygienist. I'm like, I really need I need anesthetic and my doc is tied up. Is there any way you can come do it? 
And she was so nervous just because she doesn't do them often. Like her hands were shaking and the patient could feel that. I was like, oh, this is so like, <laughs> I'm like trying to rationalize in my head. I'm like, this is good practice. This is good practice. You're okay. Like, <laughs> but imagine there's not, I mean, there's probably a lot of dental hygienists that deal with that, that don't typically anesthetize, you know, multiple times a day. And then, you know, say you work in a periodontal practice. Yeah. You're probably doing it every hour, but, um, I just see like with that one experience, how nervous she was, she knew what she was doing. She knew how to do it. It's just that she didn't do it often enough to feel comfortable with it. it does that happen a lot? Oh, all the time. I have hygienists that reach out to me all the time. And that's, and actually I do a continued education course on anesthesia and they, they sign up for my courses because, you know, they want to have that confidence and refresher behind it because you're right. You know, when you are working in a general private practice, the opportunities to require anesthetic for hygiene services is a lot lower. And, you know, depending on how the practice is set up, they may not anesthetize for the doctor on a regular basis. So yeah, it happens very, very often. Um, I'm just visualizing your process as you are sitting there with the hygienist and the patient, you're trying to keep two people calm at the same time, the <laughs> clinician and the patient. What a, what a, what a task you had. <laughs> it was interesting. I was trying to distract them both. <laughs> Did you put the buzzy bee up onto the hygienist cheek? No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't have it available. I wish I had though. <laughs> Oh, but you know, it's funny because I've actually worked at different practices where the hygienist did all the anesthetic. Like there's so many different, um, business models, you know, like, right. And it's all up to the doctor, their preference. Like, would they rather not numb everybody and have the hygienist do it? Do they make that time allocated in the hygiene schedule? Like, it's just, I just, I think, you know, if, if dental assistants could at some day in some state be allowed to certify and train properly and become accredited. I think it could be a big deal for the industry. Yeah, I, I think it's coming. I think it'll be, you know, anywhere in the next five, probably 10 years, uh, you know, in the states where dental hygienists can start having their own practices, like in Colorado and Oregon and Washington and, and like Minnesota, I definitely see that the push to have auxiliaries that can assist them at a greater basis so that they can go back and forth from multiple patients. I definitely think that that's going to be something, you know, the rise of dental therapists coming out, you know, they're going to need dental assistants that can come and help them with some of these procedures. So I will, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing a little more action, a little more push on that. The, the kicker of the deal is uh, getting the rest of the team on board. And, you know, as a dental hygienist, you know, we've lived that life of wanting to expand our scope of practice and wanting to elevate our profession and have had pushback from the other members of the dental team that um, once, once we were able to have this, because not in the United States, not every state even allows dental hygienists to give anesthetic. But, you know, once those states start allowing that to happen, the doctors actually do see a change and in their practice that they can do more patients and they have a smoother production value. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. I got one more question before we wrap up. Sounds good. All right. So let's say my patient has an adverse reaction to epinephrine. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, no kidding. So there's a couple of things. So 
you know, what epinephrine is, is adrenaline. So they are getting an adrenaline high and just start as, as someone going through that, like think about times in your own personal life where you have had, um, like you, if you're getting ready to give a speech or if you are a runner and you're getting ready for a race or somebody like jumped out of the closet and scared you like that kind of, uh, adrenaline pumping moment, like you, your heart is racing, you're shaking, you start sweating, but it starts to come down fairly quickly usually after a couple of minutes. And that's, what's going to end up work happening for our patients. You know, they're coming in, they're already anxious. So they're already kind of pumping out a little more adrenaline into their body as it is. And then, you know, if we give the injection and get some of that epinephrine into the bloodstream, then that's just going to amp it up even more. So what we want to do is set the patient up, get them into a comfortable position where they feel like they can breathe and encourage them to take slower, deeper breaths in the nose and out the mouth is my, is my best uh, advice on, on breathing and, um, just letting them have a moment. They may need even stand up and shake that, shake it out a little bit. If your patient wants to stand up, please make sure that they've been sitting up for a little bit, because that's when you can probably get that postural hypotension or that post-injection syncope. And we do not want to have another urgent situation of epinephrine on top of passing out and hitting heads. So that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, I experienced that once, um, in 2007, I believe it was, I had a postural induced seizure patient. Wow. Yeah. So it was after administering the dental anesthetic, you know, and the chair wasn't like super fast. It didn't have like set at 60 miles an hour going upright but it was just enough. I had her about halfway up and she started seizing on me and I caught her on the floor. It was scary and called 911. Did the grass is green? Like I felt horrible. She felt fine in five minutes. <laughs> I, it was horrible. Your adrenaline was pumping. You were oh. starting <laughs> I got You're... oxygen on her. I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> Switching back and forth, her oxygen, my oxygen, her oxygen, <laughs> my oxygen. Right. So yeah, well, it sounds There's like you handled thing. it. Great. Right. Yeah. Just don't do it. <laughs> They're okay. Laying down. They'll be fine. <laughs> yes. As long as, as long as that airway is still open and you know, those are the reasons why the entire dental team has to go through, you know, medical emergencies and, and basic life support skills. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Tina, let's say we have some dental assistants listening that work with dental hygienists that aren't comfortable giving injections. They learned it, they know what to do, they just hate it and they don't like it and they're not good at it and they're more reserved when I ask them to help me. <laughs> Where can I send them? All right, well, um, my website is teachertinardh.com. So you can get a lot of information there, but also Facebook and Instagram is teachertinardh. And, you know, it is a course designed for uh, oral health clinicians that give injections, but really anybody could take the course because it just will help you no matter what it is. So uh, that's where you can find me. I love it. So like even a dentist, you know, like say they've just been out of school a couple of years and they don't feel super comfortable with certain injections, you can help them. Exactly. And I have had dentists uh, sign up for my courses, so they love it. I love it. And anything to make our jobs and lives easier. Here's the thing, you guys never forget this. Someone else has been through it. Find that person and learn from them. <laughs> 
I love that advice. That's wonderful. And they survived. They went through it and they survived. Right. Stronger on the other end. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Tina. Have a great day. Thank you, Rhonda. (laughs) 